She's a Super Geek is a proud member of the Misdirected Mark Network. Episode 126 is brought to you by patron Eli Kurtz and by the podcast Sounds Like Crows. Listening to episode 126 of She's a Super Geek, the actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Hello and happy 2020, y'all! It's Andy, and on today's episode, my co hosts and I are being GM'd by Ree, the GM slash producer of the Magpies podcast, in Rich Howard's Descent into Midnight on Kickstarter in February. A special thanks to Richard Quartz Landry for editing this episode. Are you excited about the roaring 21st century 20s? Well, you also might be excited about the roaring 1920s with Capers, a super-powered game of gangsters, on Kickstarter starting today, January 7th. You play criminals or cops during the Prohibition era, and you have superpowers. This is an all-in-one core playbook with player and GM info. It is going to be a beautiful deluxe hardcover edition. We're talking glossy, full-color interiors, covers with tables and info and lore, ribbon bookmarks. Oh, it's going to be just a beautiful book, y'all, with an enamel pin available as an add-on as well. So if you're looking for an excuse to call somebody doll face, you should pick up Capers, the deluxe hardcover on Kickstarter. We'll have a link in the show notes. All right, let's get to our game. Hey, everyone. Welcome to She's a Super Geek. I'm super excited today to introduce a very special episode as usual. Um, We are going to be playing Descent into Midnight, which should be going live on Kickstarter in February of this year. So keep your eyeballs peeled for it. Um, And on today's episode, I've got me, of course, Senda and Andy. Hey, y'all. And then um, we have a very special guest, Ree. Hello. Um, who is lovely and is going to come run this game for us. Yes. Um, so, Ree, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about you and where people can find the other amazing things that you are doing on the internet. Um, and then uh, take us in. Yeah. So, um, I my, my kind of big project is that I am the uh, GM and producer of The Magpies, which is a Blades in the Dark actual play podcast. Um, we are... Uh, I don't know, some amount of time into our third season. Uh, (laughs) I think episode six just went up on Christmas Eve. Um, So if uh, a group of uh, mostly queer women uh, fighting against the corrupt powers that be in a haunted industrial fantasy city uh, sounds like a good time to you, uh, you've got a huge backlog to work through. Um, I mean, you're basically... Telling the story of my 20s. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you can find that at magpiespodcast.net or on Twitter um, at magpies underscore pod. Uh, my other project is um, I do... Uh, copy editing and accessibility consulting for uh, the tabletop RPG community. So if you are a game designer or if you're making like a D&D module or anything that you kind of want to put out there for the, the tabletop community um, and you would like to have someone copy edit it or tell you how to make your digital documents accessible to people using assistive technology, uh, I can help with that. Um, and you can find more about that at uh, rpgskillcheck.net. And then I guess if you want to follow me uh, on my personal Twitter, that is at Rhiannon42. Yay. So that that is me. Those are all the places you can find me on the internet. I love how you do consulting on accessibility and your Twitter handle says that you are the answer to everything. (laughs) That must mean you know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) I I certainly hope so. (laughs) I do my best. Um, yeah, so Descent into Midnight, um, is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, so, you know, if you as listeners are familiar with Dungeon World or Masks or Apocalypse World, 
I suppose, <laughs> or any of the other dozens of PBTA games out there. Um, it follows kind of the same mechanical structures. Uh, there's playbooks, there's moves, all of that good stuff. Um, what the game is about is the players uh, create characters who are uh, aquatic beings on an alien world. There are no humans. Um, there may not even be land, like dry land. Um, it may be an entirely aquatic world. Uh, it's that that's not something that's usually explored. It's just you are in an ocean. Um, and there's uh, a lot of the characters all have um, psionic powers. There's a lot of biotech. And what the game is kind of about at its core is about community and protecting that community against uh, corruption that threatens it. And we, we have already created characters. So I think uh, Andy and Senda, if you want to introduce your, your characters to, to start with, to tell the folks who you will be playing. Um, yeah, so I am playing a character called um, Strong Arms with Teeth. Um, I am one of the Awakened, uh, which means that I was once just an animal creature, just following the tides of the natural world. And then something happened and the barrier between my instincts and my intellect um, actually came down. So I have um, a cognitive understanding of myself as a being and the ability to then communicate with other creatures and be basically sentient in a way that I was not when I first was created on this planet. So I am a, a large, like, somewhere between five to ten foot octopus type creature. Um, there aren't very many of us, uh, but like I can tell you that I'm, um, while I am reasonably old in terms of how we would consider it in human years, probably, you know, a couple of decades, I won't reach my full adult size for quite a bit longer. That's so I am strong arms with teeth because I named myself before I met anyone else <laughs> because I came to uh, I came to this intelligence where I lived in the vast emptiness and there wasn't anyone for quite a while. <laughs> cool. All right. And Andy, tell us about your character. I am playing the muse. I call myself Tangled. My pronouns are they, them. The muse is kind of an aquatic bard type, although they can be crafters or singers, sculptures or storytellers. And I think I am all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been around for a while. But I I do have a, a little home that is a hidden oasis. And sometimes all you can see is two eyes floating on shimmering light. So it's not always apparent how big I am or how far I can stretch. Uh, I am mostly transparent. I also have some telekinesis, or sorry, not telekinesis, photokinesis. Uh-huh. There's a difference. Uh-huh. Photo means light. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Professor Wendy, for teaching me that in bio. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of eccentric, but I, I love this, this weird community because it lets me sort of be my weird introvert self, but still be part of the community, I think. My most well-known piece of art is a sculpture I called Protector Arms. It is based off of an experience I had with Strong, and it is a, a, a sculpture of an octopus, but their arms underneath are sort of uh, oh, holding a piece of luminescent coral in them, and with the waves and the ebb and the flow, the coral shifts around but is always held very strongly by the protector arms. And I worked for a long time to get the right combination of things to make that octopus glow like the real octopuses do. Octopi. <laughs> cool. So those are the characters that we, we have. And the, the next thing that we do when you're playing Descent to Midnight, kind of for the, the first session, is to create the community that these characters are a part of and that they are guardians of. All of the player characters in Descent into Midnight are guardians of a community. So, basically, I have kind of a list of, of questions and prompts, and um, I'm just going to go through each one and, you know, 
you can either go back and forth or whoever has inspired can give an answer and uh, we'll, we'll start building out this uh, city, this underwater city that you all live in. So the first one is, what is a unique natural feature, neighborhood, or district in the city? Ooh, ooh, I, I think, ooh. do you have a thing? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, we can have two. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was thinking we probably have a, a district that is built up around one of those volcanic shafts. No, oh, I was actually also thinking of a volcanic shaft. So, yeah, like. so we, we, like, we're, maybe we're in a colder part of the world, but we attract creatures that need both warmth and cold because we do have that volcanic shaft. So that keeps the water around it comfortable for those who need the warmer temperatures. Okay, cool. So um, are you thinking that this is then, because I know those shafts tend to be typically deeper in the ocean, you're thinking this is more of a deep sea community? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so both of you were thinking the volcanic shaft thing? Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, we've been podcasting and gaming together <laughs> for several years. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> Five, six Okay, so um, what is the, so you've got a district that's built around this volcanic shaft. What is in this district? What, what's, uh, is it like residential, commercial, art district, industrial? What, what happens in this, this space? You know, I think that it's partially residential. So when we talk about creatures who need some of the warmer water, but I think that it's partially industrial because like the, the, we can use basically the warmth of the water um, to as power, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think that there's a certain amount of just like industry stuff that's using the thermal currents um, to power whatever creation. Cool. Okay, so the, the next question I have is, what is a sapient species other than the ones that the two of you are. And I know that for uh, Senda, you are kind of the only sapient member of your species, but yes. what, what's just another sort of species that, that lives in this city um, that is a, a sapient, uh, sapient creatures? Um, I think there are schools of little fish mm -hmm. um, that, that basically... Hive uh, mind? Yeah, they like, but they hive mind in like groups Oh, that's um, cool. So like what, because like, I think their hive mind has like a range, right? But I think the little, I think they're like little silverfish or something, right? But they, so if they break off and they get far enough away from each other, then like, um, they become an independent mind. So like, I think, I think that they're, they, they telepathically group together and then function as a single unit, but like they can split and divide or merge back together um, or like, you know, one fish can get separated from this group over here and then merge with this other group over here instead. Like, I think that they can act as entities as each school, basically. Okay. I like that. It's a hive mind, but you still have independence. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Yeah. Like, right. Well, because they're all like, they're all willingly like becoming part of this yeah. hive mind situation. And then they could always like rescind that consent and go off and be their own thing. I like it. Mm -hmm. That's I think cool. that's cool. <laughs> um, what is a uh, a cultural tradition uh, associated with this species? They do plays. Ooh. Oh, that's very cool. Because they can create different shapes. I think that they, maybe not plays, maybe it's more like... Um, Oh, it's like they their, do their shadow of like, puppetry. Yeah, yeah like yeah. dancing puppetry stuff because yes. they can. Yeah. And they tell because they can communicate. Tell, well, we can all communicate telepathically. Mm -hmm. So they pass on a lot of the stories of the past through these sh sort of shadow puppetry plays. So, so they're kind of historians. Like that's part of how they use their hive mind in the passing of information. Yes, because cool. as long as one member of the hive mind is alive, it joins another hive mind and that collective memory goes on. So yes. they, wow. we call them the rememberers. Ooh, yes. yes. I love this. <laughs> I like them a lot. So now um, tell me about one or more non-sapient species that inhabit the city or the area around it. This could be like 
a domesticated species. I think there was one point, one game that I was in where we basically came up with like, uh, you know, a, a tuna variant that were kind of like our, like, cattle <laughs> they were they were raised for food that we had around um so just kind of as an example but yeah just non-sapient species that oh uh, i was thinking catfish but th- that i was actually sense. also thinking catfish that i is... was thinking catfish this is weird but anyway i was thinking like <laughs> giant catfish that are used almost like horses oh cool. like for the transport of goods like obviously you wouldn't in in the sea, like we wouldn't ride them, yeah. But like to keep goods from floating off, mm-hmm. right? You attach them to the catfish, and then they functionally like can transport them, or and maybe I mean maybe smaller fishes also use them for faster transport. Yeah, because like the, like a, like um, what are they called? Those things remoras that like latch onto sharks. Yeah, 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 um, and like yeah, so you could just kind of be like, I'm just gonna hang on to you. Here we go. Yep, like they <laughs> and so like maybe they travel specific routes, and it's like. Parcel, parcel and and bus service all yeah. combined into one. It's the Catfish Express. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know why Catfish was in my mind, too. I think it's the whiskers. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I was thinking Catfish we've domesticated as pets. Like, cats. <laughs> oh, and I was you just, went. Yeah, I was thinking giant horses. transportation I catfish. I love transportation catfish. <laughs> so I, I do have a question for, for you, Senda. Um, since you are, are an awakened member of a non-sapient species, are there other members of your species around this community? Um, I don't think that they're specifically in this community, but um, there may be one or two that are kind of on the outskirts or the fringes. We tend to be very... We tend to be very solitary, um, and we we tend to live out our lives basically as lone hunters okay. in the vast emptiness, um, and usually like somewhere in the deep, like the depths, yeah. right? So, uh, so it's it's not super frequent that I encounter others of my kind, although I certainly know that they're out there, like. You know, so we don't form communities when when we meet. It's not violent. It's not competitive. Um, it's just rare, and that's like it's why there aren't a ton of us because like there's not a lot of How chances do you for procreation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. You have a very long lifespan, and will probably yes. reproduce once in those hundreds right, of years, like one to two times, and live for eight hundred years, kind yeah. of thing. Like cool. those few times that you encounter someone else. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. you you know that there's there's some that are kind of within reasonable swimming distance of this community, right. but they're not within the community itself. Yeah, in fact, I'll be more specific and I will say there is one and okay. they are much older than I am and therefore much larger than I am. Okay. So they're like a 30-foot giant octopus. <laughs> Got it. Cool. Um, Uncle Kraken. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like lives in some rocks, like half a day's swim away or something, you know. Okay. Cool. So the next question is, uh, tell me about an aspect of infrastructure for the city, such as transportation, trade, emergency services. We kind of touched on this a little bit with the the giant catfish, um, but Mm -hmm. if there's some other aspect of infrastructure. I would be really fascinated to hear how we deal with emergency services. Yeah. I don't necessarily have an idea. I was thinking that there is a species of something that is our nurse joy, Okay. For those of you who are familiar with Pokemon, Senda is not, so I will explain. (laughs) So anytime your Pokemon get hurt or faint, you take them to a Pokemon Center, and in every single Pokemon Center is Nurse Joy. They are all named Joy. They are all all related. It is free healthcare, and they just, I don't know, like, they just love to help Pokemon and people. So we have some sort of healer fish, and their, their entire gig is you know i i love to help people who are who are hurt cool what what do we what do they look like i think they might be crabs oh i love that (laughs) nurse crabs nurse crabs but like dr crabs right so i think like i think they're they're crabs and then um so like if you go to the clinic there's always like crabs there but I think that there's also like some sort of um, like emergency re- emergency response kind of situation. Yes, which is like crabs don't actually 
they can scuttle quickly, but they don't swim very fast. Right. So, um, so maybe there has to be something fast that can transport people. Or I almost said, if things get get on fire, what do they do? But <laughs> that's not probably fire. not a problem. <laughs> not so much. Generally, no. But I mean, um, you could have a, a heat-related incident if something goes wrong on the thermal yeah, vent. Somebody could get burned. Yeah, still. yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think that um, they're bandage fish. <laughs> <laughs> I think their their general response is actually that they like they scuttle along the bottom where there's not as much traffic, right? Mm. Um, and then, like, they have some sort of um, lift up or um, there's another fish that travels with them that then, like, lifts them vertically to the appropriate um, level. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the actual level that, you know, vertically that they need to be at in order to take action. And I think, oh, it's a stingray because then it also provides them a flat surface on which yeah. to work to yeah. stand on while they do whatever they need to do. Are these are these helper stingrays uh, sapient or no? Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Do you think no, I don't think so. I think they're okay. trained. Mm-hmm. So they're they're like they're trained ambulance fish. They're like rescue. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, they're <laughs> yes, they are ambulance fish. So they are I mean, yeah, I mean, I think ambu-rays. I feel <laughs> like the other thing is like they could just ride the 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 um. They could just ride the rays. Yes. They could also just ride the stingrays. Right. And because rays are more flat, they can still go in. It's like riding a motorcycle in traffic. You can still yeah, sort of can. bob and weave. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, too. That's funny. Um, I have many visions of crabs riding stingrays right now. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful mental image. <laughs> um, tell me about one or more pieces of biotechnology that are found in the city. Um, I'm so one of the things that I'm thinking of is like some sort of like long range communication, like that you can talk to someone across the city and maybe it's just like is kind of like a a phone sort of situation, except that um, like all of the wiring basically passes the information via light instead of like as information bites Mm -hmm. or sound and then it retranslates it. Because it's all pretty much everyone communicates telepathically. Oh, that's true. Uh, so yeah, let's so see. it could be kind of a like a, a telepathic booster. Um, yeah, yeah, an amplifier. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an amplifier because because otherwise everyone would be listening to everyone all the time, like, right? Like <laughs> yeah, just endless oh, distance of all. Of maybe the there are paired rocks or paired electric eels. If you Ooh. have a message, you or you want to talk to somebody. Let's say we're across the city. Um, I can call on these lightning eels. One will dash over to you and like light up and I, and I know it's connected, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And then I'm able <laughs> to like have carrier eels. The, yes. Yeah. Carrier eels. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. I was actually eels. thinking more like, like you can hear me cause I'm talking into my eel and they're like paired biotechnically so that only you can hear me. I feel like maybe all the eels work like that then. Is that technology though, or are we just using eels? Uh, no, I mean, it could, I mean, it's, it, they could be like a, a non sapient species that has been, you know, genetically modified to do this sort oh, of thing. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I like it quite a bit. They're a GMO. Their, their tails go up in the air like they mm-hmm. just, <laughs> like, like little receptors in their in their <laughs> eel ends. Um, okay. You have to talk into the eel's mouth. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like they don't necessarily have to be in pairs. I feel like you dial the eel that you want so that it knows oh, which so, one to connect to. So we might have like pet eels that we take with us. Right. Everybody might have a pocket eel. A smart it's eel. It's a cell phone. A smart eel. Yeah. Yes. A smart Everyone has a smart eel. eel for if you're too far away. Um, so they, they <laughs> must come in a, a wide range. This is also where we, you'd have the genetic modification because they would have to come in a wide variety of sizes too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There because we have whales. Ones, little yeah. ones. And, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And cool. everybody has, a, like, yeah, like a telepathic code. 
Yes. So this actually, you've kind of already answered the next kind of uh, sub prompt for this is, is it ubiquitous or is it cutting edge technology? And it sounds like it's pretty common. Pretty ubiquitous. I mean, I don't think that it would be absolutely shocking if someone didn't have a smart eel, but like, I think most people do. I mean, some people have flip eels. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the ones that bend in half and then you have to open them back up again before you can. Some people only have home eels. (laughs) (laughs) That That are not portable. Right, Right, they're they're installed and they just get fed. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about a prominent cultural, religious, or natural event that is important to the city and its inhabitants. Oh, Andy, tell us a festival. (laughs) It's your time. Um, It's your time to shine. (laughs) There is a festival that celebrates mythical creatures known as the humans. (laughs) (laughs) There are legends of these bipedal creatures that that don't live in water, and it, they are. It's a combination of boogeyman to scare little fish into like not going above the water. You know these these bipedal creatures. They'll snatch you from you know the shallows and they will cook you and eat you, and so it's it's some sort of a so it's it's kind of like halloween in that it's like intended to be a scary festival but it's become commercialized yeah <laughs> wow yeah. and there are people who cosplay as humans <laughs> just got to be hard when you have no limbs or eight limbs yes. or i they make know, it work they yeah. have they have pretend and what limbs is this that called? they put on yeah uh, Ooh, I think, oh, I think a- it's called the Feet Festival because none of us have feet. <laughs> the Festival of Feet. The Festival obviously. of Feet. <laughs> yeah, there's and a parade, and it happens along the bottom of the like one of the right. shallower parts before you get to the actual like um, vent. Um, yes, so that everybody can like see how well they manage to make it look like they do this weird bipedal motion thing. Mm-hmm. Which is not even remotely close to walking. No, not at all. But yeah. it's what we think that walking might look like. Mm-hmm. Having never actually witnessed it and not living in a space that requires that type of motion. Yes. Yep. Actually, we probably wouldn't call them humans. We would probably call them feeders or feet halfers or something. Yeah. Two legs. <laughs> Two tentacles? Does anything have yeah. legs under the sea? Not Crabs. really. Crabs. Yeah. Crabs have legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Crabs have legs. They have a lot more than two, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, 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 we, the legend is that they were misformed crabs <laughs> who went up on the beach to get food and just stayed. I don't know. There's a lot of people these days who is just, you know, pretty convinced that uh, they're all dead now anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, these are just stories told to scare children to keep them away from the shallows where they could get beached. You know, it's it's actually to help them. Right, right, right. But because you they, can't you can't explain to that logic level of, to small yes, fish. Yes. Yeah, so you just have to scare them. Yeah. Yes. All right. So the the last question for creating the community. The feet festival. <laughs> um this is my my favorite question of of all the world building in in Descent to Midnight. What is something small but special that most people take for granted? Hmm. I think there is some sort of algae that that grows from the vent and once it gets too big it like detaches and it floats through the water and we all just eat it. And we've maybe forgotten what food scarcity looks like. I guess that's not really small, is it? Uh, no, I mean, small doesn't necessarily have to be, like, physically small. It's just, um... Well, but I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing to be, like, a society has no food scarcity. Yeah, it's a utopia. But if it's been, if it's been long enough, yeah. if it doesn't feel significant to you anymore. This is just the way that things work. Mm-hmm. I, th- yeah. I think I, I really like that, um, that, yeah, you, you have a community that food scarcity just isn't something you've had to worry about in centuries millennia maybe yeah and then that also means maybe more 
maybe species that were more aggressive have become a lot more docile. Mm-hmm. So right. we are a lot more communal oriented. Yeah. And, and even on top of that, um, it gives us more space for things like history and art and like the, the ways that we express ourselves and, and creating of beautiful things because um, the day-to-day survival stuff that's taken care of. Not a thing that everybody is concerned with. This makes me happy. Yeah. That that yeah, I the answers to that question are always wonderful. <laughs> um so now that we have created this this wonderful community with with our our post scarcity utopia and our festival of feet and, <laughs> and all of that, um let's talk about what is threatening this community. Oh, Let's talk well, about the corruption. Can we name the community first? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we should call it Dark Heat. Dark Heat. Because we're like, I mean, there's Very probably people living like all the way up through all the layers, like up into yes. the light. But like there's also people living all the way down into the dark next to the vents there. So. And that's where like the industry happens. Right. in the dark next to the vents where we can, like, use the heat situation. I like it. What, uh, what's the industry? That's a really good question. What do we, what do we make? Eel phones. <laughs> I was thinking we are eel farmers and scientists. The eel, the eel thing is kind yeah. of your, your big, yeah. The, the smart eels are the smart our eels. So we have yeah. people who are, who, who take care of the eels, and because they have to function in both hot and cold water, it's the perfect place to test them. Mm-hmm. So you have research and developers, you have scientists, you have testers, you have a lot of people who are involved in, in oh my gosh, what is, what is the equivalent of apple <laughs> in our town? Seaweed. Seaweed. Algae. Algae is better. Algae. Yeah, so a lot of people are employed by algae and the Their town... eye eels. Their eye eels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Do they also play games? Like, can you do things with the, like, the bioluminescence on them that is, like, entertainment value and stuff? Sure. Why not? Oh, oh my gosh, smart eels. Um, eye eels. There so, are, yeah, so- algae... <laughs> So Al, Al, the biggest employer in town is Algae. And, or employer might, I don't know if there's a This a, feels a, a like, a, like an, a post-capitalist yeah. utopia. So, but, I mean, it, it makes sense that you would still have, you know, an organization that, that focuses on a thing where people can, can yeah. do stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I think it is an organization, not a corporation. Yes. Yes. It's a co-op. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. And they call it algae because that's what grows in the vent. Mm-hmm. There you go. And it um, feeds the eels and everybody yeah. else. And everybody else. Um Yeah. I think the eels have a specific temperature they have to achieve while they're in their eggs. Mm. Yeah, so that they can like adapt. Right, I like that's that. like it's part of part of how they um, produce the right kind of eel is they have to be in very specific yeah. conditions. It's um, like uh, it's like boiling sugar for caramel. <laughs> you have to bring it up to the. You have to you know let it cook for the right amount of time. Bring it up to the right temperature. Bring it down to the right temperature. Make sure it doesn't crystallize. <laughs> All the things. Yeah. Yep. Good. Okay. All right. So we've got our, our lovely community. Um, and now let's talk about the corruption that is threatening this community. And the corruption can be a physical thing. It can be a psychic mental thing. Um, I've been in games where it's been an illness. Um, so the, the first question is, um, what does the corruption look like? How, how do people know that something is wrong? So I love succulents and um, I've been keeping a bunch of them and every now and then something sweeps through a bunch of my succulents and murders them horribly. 
And what happens is they like start going um, wilty and then they start losing their leaves and the leaves don't produce, don't fall and produce more plants like they normally would. They just die. Um, And so I kind of feel like the corruption maybe looks like that in that it it's only visible on like plants and algae in that it it makes them um it starts on the edges of those and like moves through them and like slowly like slowly kills the plants right until the plant is all dead but it starts on the edges of the plant and then like works its way in and so the fear is it's going to come towards the vent mm-hmm. and destroy the algae. The algae. Yeah. Describe a time when your character has encountered this corruption. What was it threatening? Um, so for me, it was actually when I was, uh, it was before I came to this city. And um, I found it out in the wild when I was just continuing to hunt for food and 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 basically exist and 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 revel in in myself and my knowledge of self, um, and then one day I encountered an area in which all of the uh, the seaweed was um, blighted and the the water was it was still cold like I in the areas I was usually in, but it felt different. And I didn't like the way that it passed through me as I pulled the oxygen from it. Um, and I saw that it looked like some of the little fish that would normally have eaten um, the plants in that area, the, the little fish that I hunt um, uh, for food mm-hmm. when I'm out in the vast reaches of, of, of uh, the sea. Um, they looked ill and like they were, you know, dying. And I left very quickly. Yeah. Okay. How about uh, how about Tangled? What is Tangled's encounter with the corruption been? Because since we're starting your characters off with some corruption already marked right. on you, this is kind of how how you encountered it. Right. Um, well, one of the things that Tangled does is Tangled is a scavenger. Mm-hmm. and likes to, you know, maybe is drawn to shiny things sometimes, likes to figure out what they can do to make art or what might be helpful to others. They like giving gifts to people. So sometimes Tangled wanders a little far from the from Dark Heat. And I think... I think Tangled saw some seaweed. I think that seaweed's kind of the first thing to get to get touched by this blight. And didn't know what it was and, and touched it with one of their sort of seaweed-esque parts. And tendrils. Tendrils, yes. And that tendril is now visible 100% of the time. Uh, it can't make it transparent and it doesn't respond to me. Oh. So it is just like a limp, um, you know, thing hanging off of my transparent body, or once transparent body. And I was really worried about that. So I, I went back into dark heat, and I went to the clinic, and the doctor crabs said that they couldn't do anything. Did you have it amputated? Oh, that's smart. I would have had it amputated, yeah. I think that you might have, yeah. It doesn't mean okay. that you wouldn't still have the corruption, but, like, maybe that's that was the solution. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't know. I mean, it's like... It'll grow back, right? <laughs> our, maybe our... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds Eventually. like, you know, almost like, you know, gangrene, where the limb yes. is just dead. Yes. And it has to be cut off to save you. Yeah, that's okay. Um. So it's, yeah, it sounds like this, this blight, um, is, it's something that, that was seen outside the city and is now coming into it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, the next question I, I think kind of ties into this a little bit. Has the corruption always been part of your world? Is it newly introduced or are you unsure? I don't think we know. Yeah. I don't think we know either. Um, it's new to us. But because you found it outside the city, it could have been there for a lot longer, and it's just now right. And it you. could have been there mm-hmm. before I was, uh, you know, I could have encountered it before I was even aware 
that something was amiss when I, you know. Cool. And the last question um, has almost a little bit been been answered by by Tangled's experience, but um, an inhabitant you know has been affected by the corruption, either directly or indirectly. How do you know them, and how have they been affected? Um, I think it's some sort of creature that lives kind of on the outskirts of town. Um, in fact, maybe they're also some kind of guardian for this community, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you're, you're definitely not the only ones. Yeah. And that would be a, a a very logical reason why we would know them. Mm -hmm. So I think it is a very old crab, a very old, large crab that used to be part of the healthcare system and, um, responded to a call about, uh, a, a fish that was in 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 trouble, right? Um, that they were bringing in from outside the city, and the fish, it, you know, like they they had been infected um, with the blight, and I think um, probably from eating infected plant material um, or breathing it or ingesting it um, in some way, and um, and the the this was the crab that was trying to help them to save them, but mm -hmm. in doing so, they. Um, they it got under their shell on one leg so i think that they're they're like a retired um nurse crab mm -hmm. now cuz they 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 also don't have one of their limbs so like they're like a five-legged crab now okay so they can't move yeah. fast enough to respond to emergency situations anymore but they're still like the person that we go to to ask like questions about or stuff like that like they used to be one of the the fast responders kind of on the front lines right yeah so th this is not one of the official prompts but i think it's it's something that i think is useful to know how um how widespread is is knowledge of this this threat because it sounds like uh, a number of, of creatures in this city have started to get sick. It sounds like your food supply is being threatened. Um, I mean, it's, it sounds like this is something where, like, the community could be on the edge of, like, a mass panic, depending on how well this has been contained. Um, I think it still mostly hasn't gotten into the city itself. But the fear is okay. that it, if it does, the first thing that will go is the food supply. Right, the endless free food right. supply um, is going to be the first thing that's affected by it because that's like the plant life that we all live off of. Um, so yeah. I think that um, I think that there's we're at the state where there are like rumors flying, and I think there are people who mm -hmm. believe in it. There are people who choose to deny its existence. Um, like we're just we're at that place where there's just rumors floating around everywhere and not everyone has actually seen or experienced it yet. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say majority of people have not. Yeah, right. Seen it directly. Right. They're just hearing about it. It's really only people who leave the city. Right. Yes. Or have encountered it. Yeah, but it's it's getting closer. <laughs> so I think there are a lot of rumors. Yeah, uh, I don't know if this was the intent of the game designers but uh the the number of times that the corruption just ends up as a climate change parallel is um a lot yeah i can imagine that <laughs> a lot yeah, yeah, yeah majority yeah. yeah um okay so there's one last piece of of world building that we will do before we get into the adventure all of the guardians of of this community have uh something that is known as their sanctuary and this is a place that is both a physical place and a uh, psychic space. And it is where guardians can come to rest and recover and sort of process the, the emotions that they have felt while they're sort of dealing with any threats to the, the community. And so th this is sort of a, it, it can be kind of a, a meditative visualization thing. So to start with, can you tell me a little bit about sort of the general look and feel of the sanctuary, maybe where it is within the community? I think it might be within a more residential part of the of the city. Mm -hmm. And it's it's 
it can't really be a house because we are so many different sizes. But it is, ooh, yeah, a cave. Yeah. With a small entrance on the outside, but it is very big on the inside. It's bigger on the inside, in fact. Well, it must have it must have the flexibility for large and small creatures to get inside of it. it yes, it does. Mm-hmm. So small entrance is relative, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and like it's like it, our clubhouse. Yeah. For for an octopus, mm-hmm. they can fit through very very fit. small yeah. spaces, right. which is super creepy. Yeah. Um, and th- this is a this is. This is your sanctuary. This is for the two of you. Oh, okay, oh. for us specifically. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. So, this yeah, is... it, has a, it has a small entrance. Okay. So, uh, at this point, if, if you want, you can kind of, like, close your eyes and visualize this space um, in the community. You've got the warm water from the vents uh, filtering out across this residential area. You squeeze in through the small entrance and come into this large open space. And can each one of you tell me, what is something that you bring to your sanctuary? Either a a physical thing that you have brought here and placed within it, or uh, a psychic emotional state that you have brought here, um, kind of how you're feeling currently. Andy, why don't you go first? So I have brought down some sort of vegetation and there is just this little nook and this vegetation is some sort of like silky seaweed I've put up on the three walls of the nook and I just, I will nestle in and I will sleep there because I'm always worried about drifting off somewhere else while I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. And... So that's what I've done. I have like this little nook that's almost perfectly outlined to my transparent form, but you can definitely tell when, because when I sleep, maybe I'm not transparent. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of blend in at that point, but yeah, because I, I don't want to drift off while I'm sleeping. Yes. You've created this nice, safe, comfortable space for yourself. Cool. Uh, Senda, what, what is strong arms brought to this space? I think I want to answer this question twofold. Mm -hmm. The first is that there are, um, there are like old chunks of like driftwood that are in here. Um, because what I like to do is, um, it's comforting to me to like wrap my arms around them and like squeeze. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like because my arms are very strong and they have teeth in them. And obviously I'm not going to use that on like non food creatures um, or anything like that. So this is like going back to um, my practices in the wild and in like in the dark, um, having the the feel of the, the, you know, something in there and um, holding on. Yeah. Do you lift, bro? I do, but it's also an emotional <laughs> thing for me. Um, <laughs> I have very strong Fair. arms. Um, so that, but then um, on this particular occasion, um, I am, I'm kind of emitting a light pattern that is, um, it's basically like a, kind of a slow fade in, fade out of various colors that overlap um, so that the light never actually goes out in my vicinity, but it slowly changes from one light to another. Um, and it's uh, it's very calming, um, but uh, it's hard to tell if it's intended as like a calm that I am projecting outwards or if I am trying to calm myself. Yeah, because you you do have some reason to be worried mm-hmm. uh, with with the threats uh, that that are kind of facing the city. That right now you're not sure how bad it is. Yeah. So I I think where we start, where we find the the two of you, um, you get a uh, communication, but it doesn't come on your eel phone. <laughs> this is the weird thing. Normally, when there is something that you need to address as guardians, you're contacted on on your eel, and and you're you're told what what's going on. Someone comes to your sanctuary to speak to you in person, 
I th- I'm going to say that it, it's one of the, the, the crabs, one of the, the doctor mm-hmm. nurse crabs has, has come. And they tell you that there has been a massive outbreak of blight-infected creatures that they've seen a couple dozen admitted to the clinics recently. And they couldn't figure out what was happening because it wasn't localized. They weren't all eating the same thing. You know, in the past when they've seen it, it's because creatures have either touched blighted plants or eaten blighted plants. None of them, they were spread out all over the city. And ultimately, that was the answer. It was that they were all spread out and they realized that all of them had recently gotten new eel communicators. And when they checked, these eels were infected with the blight. And somehow the blight has been transmitted through the echo, which is unheard of. You know, people thought the the scientists who have been kind of studying this thought that they had an understanding of how it worked, that it is uh, something infecting the plants. It's transmitted by eating it. And now it seems to be able to be transmitted psychically. And, you know, this is obviously very frightening. And they have come to you asking if you can start looking into this and also potentially uh, help deal with the, the populace of the city because word is starting to spread that right. you know there, there was sort of an announcement of you know if you have uh, acquired an eel communicator in this time frame don't use it please come to you know your your local algae store <laughs> <laughs> it's being recalled and let, let, let and, the genius fish take a look at it <laughs> uh, right and and so like they weren't they didn't announce why they just said we need you to bring them back and we will give you something new but rumors are spreading that something is wrong and so that that some panic is is starting to bubble up particularly because the eels are are grown and raised and and produced near the vents which like this is the nightmare scenario that that blight is going to spread to the algae that forms the basis of, of the food structure here in your community in, in dark heat. So the, the crab very, you know, anxiously relays all of this. It seems like they are um, fairly young, probably pretty new to this kind of work. And they, they were sent because they're not super experienced. Like we can spare you yeah. to go deliver you a go. message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's, that's the situation you've been presented with. Are we worried about all ear communicators or just these new ones? It's so so far. It seems like it's just been the the infection originated with these new ones, but it's unclear of like if uh, the IEL eleven, right? But if you call someone who has like a version nine, can that one then get infected and spread it further? That they don't know yet. Um, yeah. So it has the potential to uh, spread very rapidly. And they're also just very concerned that it apparently can be spread psychically. Psychically, yeah. yeah that's that's also very worrying. Yeah, so. we haven't experienced that before. Hmm. Um. Yeah. My. Um. So I get uh, there's a couple of like just bright flashes of like anxiety patterns that swoosh over me before it returns to the calming pattern, like soothing, like put out into the world the calm. <laughs> hmm. And I will uh, gently touch the crab on the head with the very point of my little, not little tentacle, my very large <laughs> tentacle, the little point of the very large tentacle, and and just uh, let them know, like, yes, we will look into it. All right, good, thank you. Um, I need to, I need to get back. You but, uh, go. All right. And then, yeah, scuttle, 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 I think, like, boards the, the waiting boards the stingray, stingray outside yes. and whoosh, <laughs> off they go. Wow, I love the stingrays with the crabs on them. <laughs> I think that my tentacle just, like, reaches out and, like, like the water just brushes it into your tangled mass. Mm-hmm. Like, just as a, like a, it's like the equivalent of a, like a, a, a hand on the shoulder kind of thing. It's just like a, it's a, it's not yeah. a, like, creepy touch. It's just a touch. Like a, hey, hey. Right. 
hey. (laughs) (laughs) Worried? Uh, Yeah, I'm a little worried. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Bad. Bad things. Bad things. Bad things that strong arms can't do anything about. We should probably go look into this. Yes. Well, we don't know. I'm sure strong arms no, will I mean, be fine. That my, the fact that I have strong arms doesn't actually... I'm seeing that this was a confusing name choice on my part. Can you explain <laughs> to me how names work again? We don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and Tangled, like has a large like projector board that they they like bring it down a little bit and it and let go and it like yeah. <laughs> like rolls and, back up and makes some bubbles in the water as it yep. goes <laughs> yeah we'll have that lecture okay. again later that's that's fine i just maybe i should change it do you think i should change I it i think we i i think your name is what makes you happy I mean, it's very descriptive. There's teeth, see? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm tangled and transparent. Is transparent part of your name, too? We should go while we have this conversation. I'm a little bit anxious, and I think you can tell by my level of small talk. No, it's I fine. just go by tangled. It's fine. We're all fine here. Where do you want to start? Should we go yeah. see the eel? Let's, let's be very... Factory. I think we should go to... Yes, I think we should go to the main production place and kind of check the, maybe check the eggs. Yeah, or at least see what, if we can find any evidence of the blight kind of being in the area. Yeah, talk to the scientists, see if they've figured out anything. Yeah. Notice anything weird? Yes. Okay. Let's go to Algae. So you, you Algae HQ. <laughs> <laughs> you head you head off in that direction, probably catching a, a catfish. Yeah, in, to get there faster. Infinity Vent. Um, <laughs> one Infinity Vent is their address. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh and you know, this is an area that I, I think you've been to before. Um, just sort of uh, as either, you know, members of this community or as guardians. And you you know what sort of normal activity looks like for mm-hmm. kind of the, the eel, the eel farms, we'll say. Um, and this is, um, it is just a buzz with uh, creatures darting around through the water. I think that the the kind of the telepathic conversation, you can sort of choose how many people you're broadcasting it to. So it's not just everyone shouting psychically mm-hmm. at each other constantly. Yeah, good. Um, but I think that you can kind of feel like a sort of psychic pressure of like, there's a ton of conversations flying um, as, as you're getting closer, that it's just, there's a lot happening here. A very frantic energy, um, sort of a... a controlled panic <laughs> people are very alarmed by this but it's you know they're they're still doing their jobs going about things in an orderly fashion and i think that you you are recognized as guardians and that actually does seem to make people feel a little better <laughs> that that some people who maybe can help fix this are here and you you are able to kind of head to the the farms where the the eggs are and what you can see is that Normally, you know, the eggs are just kind of in, in, I don't know, they're usually like those kind of underwater eggs that are in like big clusters, right? Yeah. 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 So, so normally I think that the, the eel eggs are just in these, these large sort of floating clusters. Sure. They have been like very carefully segmented off individually and are like almost in little like quarantine boxes. Um, And there's some, some fish darting around with I think some kind of like, you know, bioengineered tools that are sort of grown out of their bodies that they're doing Mm -hmm. like these tests with. And some of them are like, you know, flagged with different colors to indicate different things. You're not sure what all the colors mean. But yeah, so so this is kind of you can sort of start investigating around here in whatever way you would like to. Who's in charge? Yeah. Tangled, we'll say, and then kind of float around looking expectedly. Yeah, I think that a, uh, what are they called? The really brightly colored shrimp that can like do a, a supersonic punch. Yeah. What are those called? Oh, uh, I don't know, but that's very cool. Yeah, that's, it's uh, one of those, but like much larger than a, a regular shrimp would be. So like really vibrant colors, big shrimp, 
Still probably only like two feet, but that's enormous for a shrimp. <laughs> yes, that is enormous for a shrimp. I'm the, the head researcher here. Uh, what can I do for you? Um, happy to answer any questions you might have. Hello, I'm Tangled. This is Strong Arms with Teeth. And we assume you know why we're here. Yes, yes. So the, the researcher will explain that they, they, you know, they have their quality assurance checks on all of the, the eels before they are, are sent out to people. They didn't see anything wrong with the latest batch. But to be fair, they were not testing for blight in their eels because why would they? Right. It hasn't been a problem. This is, you know, it, it affects plants. Right. And none of the plants around here are infected to the best of their knowledge. We've segmented off all of the eggs and we're testing them. And these ones, and, you know, it, it, they, they point at uh, a selection of eggs that have, I think, little like um, red markers. It's like these mm -hmm. we, we think may be infected. So it is happening at the, the egg stage, but we're just not sure how. At this point, they haven't been exposed to any plant matter. Um, I would like to, while they're having this conversation, I would like to um, sort of move through the area and um, uh, kind of just feel on the, the water um, to see if I'm getting any um, kind of whiffs of, of bad feelings, like move my my tentacles around and kind of just explore the area. Okay. That sounds like you are scanning the environment. Yeah, I think so. It's a move that involves rolling <laughs> dice. Oh man, we're going to roll dice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Finally. Um, oh, cool. This is not a good one for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with, with this move, uh, I'll kind of share a quick description for, for the listeners. Um, when you investigate the world around you, you can describe what sense, expertise, power, or skill you're using. Uh, and then you roll plus community, which is one of the stats. And what, what is your, your community skill rated at? Minus one. Okay. <laughs> it is my worst one. That makes sense since you didn't grow up here. You're a transplant. Yeah. I, I didn't. Community, we're very solitary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. It cool. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's fine. I'm still going to try it. I yeah. have encountered the blight before, so I'm hoping that it'll pull me through. Ooh, ooh, dice. Escaping. <laughs> Oh, heck, um, I rolled an 11, so that is a 10. Wonderful. Wow. Okay. Hey. So uh, on a hit, I will show you something about the world. And on a 10 plus, you gain plus one ongoing until the end of the scene when you're acting on the information that you gain. So I think that as you, you're, you're kind of exploring the space, feeling it out, I think both sort of physically and psychically, and you get a, a feeling that's very familiar. It feels the same way that it did the first time that you encountered the blight out in the, in the emptiness. You know, the water, like, particularly around here, it stands out to you a little bit because you're so close to the vents. The water here is supposed to be warm. It's supposed to be a very specific temperature. And it's not so much that you feel cold physically. It's like a, a mental chill that goes through you. And you, you kind of follow it to, to what seems to be the source. And I think what you find is, so there's the, you know, the, the, the eel egg area, and then they have kind of the areas where the, you know, they would have the breeding eels <laughs> for the eggs. Yep. And I think you, you move kind of into that space, um, and you find you have to dig a little bit kind of in some of the sand in the area, but you find this um, rotted mass of, of plant matter that is clearly blighted. And it looks like it was like, like you, you don't know how it, it got into the sand here. Cause like the rest of the plants have like, they've got, you know, little planters where they grow the food for them. It, I mean, it seems like something buried it here, something put it here. Oof. Oof. Tangled. Tangled, we have a problem. She plays a maid, she's got me under her spell. She plays a fight.
hope you enjoyed episode 126 of She's a Super Geek. If you liked what you heard, you can hit us up on Twitter at SassGeekPodcast, online, SassGeek.com, or on any podcatcher, iTunes, Stitcher, anything, and tell us good things about ourselves. We like to hear them. Descent into Midnight will be available on Kickstarter in February. And don't forget that Capers Deluxe Hardcover Kickstarter starts today, January 7th, with that beautiful, beautiful full-color book. If you like She's a Super Geek, you should check out other misdirected Mark shows like Bonus Experience. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. So check out Bonus Experience and be sure to join us back here for the conclusion of Descent into Midnight in two weeks. 